Welcome to another distinct nostalgia by MIM. More than a podcast. Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home. So we're remembering an EastEnders baddie today. We asked you to guess who it was on Twitter, and most of you plumped, rather predictably, for a man. And yes, there's been a fair few over Enders 36 years. But no, our EastEnders baddie is a bad girl who struck fear with a smile as she picked on some of Albert Square's most vulnerable residents. Yes, Ashley's been talking to none other than the evil Aunt Babe, played by the brilliant... Annette Badland. Thank you very much indeed for talking to Distinct Nostalgia, Annette. It's lovely, lovely to chat to you. My um, pleasure. And um, we want to talk about your, I suppose, your most memorable recent character. And that, of course, is Aunt Babe on EastEnders. Now, you weren't in it for many, many years, but Aunt Babe certainly made... <laughs> um, <laughs> tell us about a bit about the character and... What were you told, first of all? Did you know that she was going to be so evil? No. Um, I made notes when I met Dominic Treadwell Collins to talk about it. And we talked about maybe she was a pearly queen. or um, And I have in big letters, good, in, in my little book that I made notes in. But I think it probably came from, um, there was a scene I did with Tim West quite early on, where he was watching television. And I had a few home truths to tell him. So I went in and took the remote control, turned the television off, said what I had to say and gave him, put the telly back on and left the room. Uh, and I think they thought, ooh, she can be nasty. <laughs> and it progressed from there. Yeah, I, I always say it's because she wasn't loved. Uh, I think Aunt Bay wanted, had never been loved for her whole life. And it, uh, and she wanted to be loved, and she loved people. And then when it didn't come back, she got resentful and jealous. Led to her acting in the way she did. Yeah, took revenge on people. Um, yeah. <laughs> so just just remind us of her of her, her backstory because it was a weird backstory, wasn't it? She'd she'd sold children or something. Yes, I was going to say she did sell babies when she was younger, but. Um, Oh, yes, complicated. Again, this is my own invention, but I think her mother didn't love her and preferred, uh, you know, Sylvie, the elder sister, and then elder sister found, you know, went off with the chap she loved as well. Um, She'd done baby farming. She was a cook. And the family is always a quite embroiled. Shirley knew about her and, you know, it's... um, And she's Danny's auntie. But never again, as I say, the outside, the auntie, not the mother, the, you know, the one on the side, the one that does the nurturing or bringing up. And she brought up three siblings and but uh, always just removed, just always one, you know, one step to the side. Because when she first came in, it, there was an impression that she was this this auntie who was to an extent to be to be trusted because she'd been there all the time during their childhood kind of thing. So Aunt Bay knew things about different things. But as as the character grew, you found out all these little weird secrets, didn't you? <laughs> but you see, been... Sylvie hadn't brought them up. No, no. You know, so, you know, she was very instrumental in their lives and important to them. But yes, there are many strands to 
auntie baby. <laughs> that must have been um, so, quite good for you as an as an actor, though, to sort of get get you know get to grips with all those different. Interests. Yes, you don't know they're coming in a soap. Of course, Tim and I talked about this uh, quite a bit because we were actors who were used to a play or a series, and the story's finite. So, as an actor, you. You read it and you try and you make a graph for yourself. You course your journey and um, you might play against what you know the end will be to enrich things. Um, but in a soap, you don't know what's coming along the line. So I found that quite hard um, as an actor and had to sort of talk, convince myself that it was actually like life. And I might do something this afternoon that I regret or changes my life forever. And you, you don't know the consequences of your actions today. So soap of all the media, are that's the, the place where you get something that's very immediate because you don't you can't anticipate where you're going to be going. Absolutely. And of course, you know, she was so manipulative. I mean, there was just... <laughs> well, she, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> she, there's quite a few victims along the way, wasn't there? But, you know, what the one she was probably the most manipulative with, really, was um, Lorna Fitzgerald's character, Abby. Yes, Abby. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, Abby was so... She, she, she uses innocence, doesn't she? You know what I mean? Yes. So she was perfect for Babe, wasn't yeah. she, really? <laughs> Yes, they were. She could see her younger self in her, couldn't she? She could kind of. She there were strands that she could relate to and pains that she could relate to. Um, but it's always dangerous with Babe if she wants to nurture you. You, you tread a very <laughs> thin tightrope, <laughs> you know, and you might get to the other end of the rope, or it's more than likely you won't. <laughs> but she'll find something that's disagreeable. Now, when you went when you went into into EastEnders, you you mentioned Tim. Uh, you obviously knew you knew you knew, you knew Tim before, did you? Yes, yeah. yes. We'd never been in a play together, but we'd been around the same theatre companies, and uh, I'd worked with Prue uh, Prue Scales. Um, so yes, I did. I did know him. Um, so that was an absolute delight to be around him. And did you know any of the other cast, though, the other, the other actors? No, I didn't. I didn't know any of my family. And they were brilliant. I mean, they'd not long started when I joined. You know, they'd only started to, you know, cohese themselves. They embraced me and they were brilliant. You know, they were just lovely. And it's, it is family forever, you know. Your relationship with them is so intense. Um, you're there more than you are at home. You know, you go in, you know, and did their long days and the emotions that you have to portray are quite, often quite raw. So, yes, they do, they do remain in your life. And, and as you say, when really, because Shirley was a character on her own, wasn't she, for quite a while? Before, yes. And, and the family was built up around her, wasn't it, really? Sort of yeah. bringing in these new characters because Heather was her best friend and she died. They needed more yeah. characters around around um around Shirley didn't this so that was the way yes. it emerged, wasn't it and um it all got but it all <laughs> like soap always does it all gets very complicated about who's related to who uh, do you, you I mean how do you cope with that I mean do you forget that yourself sometimes <laughs> I didn't at the time but I don't think I could tell you now 
I've not been there for what is it about three years I guess I won't ask you to do the Carter family tree then (laughs) no best not I'll embarrass myself but Um, Babe would know absolutely I mean there would have been you know she'd she cares about them all and she wants as I say she wants to be loved by them but you know yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. I think she was a great character, and she was one of those characters that you, you sort of, um, yeah, but quite. Um, you know, sometimes you get in any programs, you get some people who are quite one-dimensional, but she was definitely not one-dimensional. There was oh no, no, and that was always the intention. I mean, Dominic said, "Oh, we'll have fun, and you know, we'll make." It. We we decided she would be Dickensian, um, you know, in the nature of her that it would be you know, multifaceted and I suppose that also implies a bit of deviousness and uh, although I had good in big letters written and um, but I guess being Dickensian isn't always neat and clean and tidy, is it? <laughs> had you drawn on any other characters that you played in the past for, for Babe, do you think? No, um, a couple of real people rather than characters I'd played referencing those for emotions and where I where I thought things might come from you know what the trigger would be for her to act in a particular way and I think about these people and think well how would they what what would be their view about this situation and how would they deal with it I mean it's in the scripts you're not going to really change very much but you kind of go well this is how she's dealing with this how would they what would their thoughts be? Just so you've got an interior life and not just, you know, a cardboard cutout. And, and of course, you had this sort of thing with Tim, didn't you? Tim's character, who I thought was brilliant. I thought Stan Carter was great. Um, I wish he'd stayed in it longer as well, because I think he was, he was a brilliant character. I know, obviously, you know, Tim's got other things to deal with as well and probably needed to leave at some point. But I thought he was fantastic. But you had this unrequited love element. Yes. Yeah. As I say, Sylvie stole him, you see, so... I was left out. I was doing quite well with him. And then I just, well, in my opinion, and then I got left aside. She tried though, didn't she? Didn't she try to get on his death when he was on his deathbed or something? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Too late. (laughs) You obviously love playing her. Yes, I did. It's something to relish, isn't it? It's, uh, as you say, it's, um, Yeah to have a lot of different colour. And as I said, once I'd reconciled myself to the fact I didn't know what might be coming along and you just have to relish that and go with it and enjoy the kind of roller coaster. And um, yeah, she was colourful and, and I did like the, you kind of go, Ooh, <laughs> Ooh, really? Okay. We we talk about Abby being Abby being a victim. There were other victims, of course. There was poor old Les Coker. You're not bigging up that Les Coker. <laughs> he deserved all he got. <laughs> of course, I knew I know Roger as well, so yeah. I knew Roger before. You, you blackmailed um, Les Coker, didn't you? That's what yes, you blackmailed the Cokers. Yes, over his dressing up, basically. Mm-hmm. Dressing up lady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what response did you used to get from people? Did um, did they? Did you think people believed? Obviously, it'd be nice for them to believe that you that Babe was real because as an actor, you want people to believe that. But what I mean is, was there a, a when you saw people in the street or whatever? Was there a sort of um, 
a blurring of the edges? Did people really think you were a babe? Yes, which was shocking. It's the only part I've played where people didn't go, um, uh, oh, I can't remember your name, but I liked you in that thing the other night, or you're, you're Annette, aren't you? Um, I didn't think that thing was very good. You were For EastEnders, it was, babe, you are right, babe? How's babe today? How you doing, babe? You know, aren't you a one, you know, whatever. So that was very different for me. I'd never, ever, ever had that before, that people really thought you were the person. Most people loved her and enjoyed the naughtiness of it. But towards the end, I did have death threat, um, which is very shocking and frightening. Uh, so yes, it's a, it's a tricky thing, isn't it? That you go, oh, well, this is wonderful that people think she's real and, you know, go with it and enjoy it. And then you go, oh, right, well, there are some people that go with it and, enjoy, you know, don't enjoy it and it offends them or it, they think it's real and they want revenge. Um, I was going to say, because she, she touched on quite a lot of sensitive topics, didn't yes. she, here and there? Yes. But that yeah. will have ruffled some people's feathers who might yeah. not be, you know, um, particularly well, if you know what I mean. So Yes. And, you know, the police was, you know, you don't tell anyone where you're going. You always have a phone, blah, da, 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 da. And you can go, oh, well, this is just some poor person and, and nothing's really going to happen. But you don't know. You don't know. Um, so it's, it, I was quite frightened for a bit. <laughs> um, uh, and you just have to kind of go about your life and, and hope for the best. Babe could return, of course. She's, you know, she's she not- could. I don't think she'll be in a three-wheeler. I think that must have <laughs> fallen apart by now. I don't know if you know, I once got pulled out of a scene with, by the props guys on a rope because the car wouldn't start <laughs> when we were burning the caravan. Uh, we were on a slope and there was just something wrong with the fuel line. So I'd be sitting there, you know, and it was running, but it just would not go. So eventually they got the props guys on ropes <laughs> and they actually pulled me out of the scene and I coasted down the hill. Then Danny Dyer, of course, who had to follow me in his car, kept, putting his tyre on my rope. The rope went to the back, so he'd keep putting, so I'd be doing this. and Very funny. <laughs> Babe on a rope. <laughs> Babe on a rope. So, okay, so, so, you know, the fact that she could return, um, but does her returning, does, you know, because of what you went through personally in real life, does that make you a bit nervous about returning to the character? It would make me cautious but I'd love to go in for a story you know go and go and see them all again and rattle their cages and you see she cursed them and it was right wasn't it you should don't cross babe do not cross babe no I mean yeah um you would have to take a deep breath and think about it but uh yeah it'd be lovely to go and be with them all again we'll be back after a quick break you still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping. You feel me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And, and, you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do, 
do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you mean yeah yeah we all we all artists over here man I'm trying oh yeah I'm trying I'm trying I'm trying to get them on there yeah we all artists man we go you feel me we gonna have this like Bro, me and my man, like me and my man Kyle, we be like, I don't know, we play, we play with this <laughs> shit. Right now. With this I gotta lie, we play with this shit right now, for real. For oh, don't lie. play with it. Play with it. No. Take that shit serious. Distinct nostalgia includes some special interviews remembering nearly fifty years of Emmerdale. I've been speaking to Ian Sharrock, who played the original Emmerdale heartthrob Jackie Merrick. I can remember walking down a street in Harrogate and somebody across the road shouted out, Hey, Jackie! And it was the first time anyone had ever said that. Didn't look around at first because I didn't sort of respond to it. And then eventually I realised what was going on. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm famous! <laughs> We're right back to the beginning in 1972 with Freddie Pine, who played Matt. Donald Bavisock said to Kevin... I wanted to write a series about a farm. And he said, well, I don't know anything about a farm. So they said to him, well, come up to Yorkshire and live for two or three weeks and find out. It did come off the shelf and it did start. And Peggy said, my name, Matt, was the first word of the series. Because she said, Matt, do you know all those new people over at Pickersgills or something? That was Arthur Pentelow and his daughter, Mr Wilkes because the daughter came riding over on a horse and she said, do you know those people? So my, I've always been quite proud that Matt was the very first word of the whole bloody series. <laughs> Still going 50 years later or something. And you can't have Matt without Dolly. Jean Rogers has been reminiscing about her time in the Dales as well. It was lovely, it was Toke. And he said to me after I'd been in the show about four or five weeks, he said... Just to let you know, he said, Sheila approves of you. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? Because I didn't know. Oh, yes, he said. She was watching you. But, but she, Sheila was always very professional. We felt as though we were mother and daughter in a way. We've some 90s fun with Dina Payne, who played Viv Windsor for 18 years. I'll only wear trousers if I'm going to Scarborough for the day. But when I'm working in the post office... Or, when I'm working in the cafe, nice short skirts, padded shoulders, jackets, big earrings, you know, the lot. So you, you had some real input then in, into her character? Like I said, I wasn't really get given any kind of uh, direction for the character, so I just thought, well, OK, you don't give me any, I'll make it up. <laughs> and there's plenty more still to come, including Alison Spiro, who was Sarah Sugden, and Roberta Carr, who played Jan Glover. Trawl through our feed now to find hours of soap history. Remembering Emmerdale on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. Only on Distinct Nostalgia. When I ran out of children's books, I used to read from Woman's Home. Who knew a four-year-old would be gripped by an article on cross-stitch? We're uniting the ages with Generation Games, a series of comedy and drama monologues and duologues coming exclusively to distinct nostalgia. Stories exploring connections, friendships and relationships between people across different age groups, beginning with Missing You, starring June Brown and Sam Barnard. Mum thinks I need protecting, but I don't need protecting from love. Pity that social worker of his can't do something useful for a change. 
contact the noise abatement lot, put in a complaint. I like her, I said, and then, silence. What's the problem? I asked. She'll take advantage of you, Mum warned. Missing You by Richard Verjet, with the legendary June Brown only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, then we'd be living in a totally different format. A brand new podcast featuring rarely heard voices from across the UK and around the world. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Contemporary conversations around bisexuality. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. We are questioned so much more than people when they come out as straight or gay. It's intense pressure of like, am I sure? You're literally like monitoring yourself. Every episode will include a very personal story as we try to paint a real picture of bisexual Britain. This is Bisexual Brunch. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. This year has claimed the lives of far too many people to coronavirus. One of the many we lost was the great comedian Eddie Large, one half of that fabulous double act, Little and Large. And he's asked, you know, when did you meet and all that? And he'd have the the stock answers, you know, oh, we met by accident, you know, I ran him over on a zebra crossing, you know, (laughs) things like that. In a special interview, Sid Little remembers his longtime comedy partner and their years together making people laugh. I'd be stood there and Eddie'd go like... uh, you know, look at him. If he turned sideways and stuck his tongue out, he'd look like a zip. If he had four more navels, he'd look like a flute. You know, <laughs> you know when he wears his blue suit, he looks like a refill for a viral. Because you know, I was thin, I was really skinny, and Eddie was on the stocky side. And that's when the comedy started coming in. That's Little Remembers Large, only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. Search for Distinct Nostalgia wherever you get your podcasts or go to distinctnostalgia.com. Just looking at some of the other people she clashed with and the other storylines, after Les, there was Claudette, of course, she clashed with... Oh, right, yes. (laughs) You were good at making enemies, but you loved making enemies. Mm. I like poking people with a stick. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, she was fearless in that. I mean, she, it's all the stuff I could never do as me. Uh, yeah, she had no, no kind of concerns about that. She would just go in and enjoy that, I think. And she would, I mean, going back to Abby, she was really horrible to Abby, wasn't she? Abby had, had, had got this. Not to she, begin with. No, not to begin with, but she felt. Abby she, was a disappointment. <laughs> yeah, felt as she'd been crossed, didn't she? And yeah, and and but Abby had got this nice relationship going with Jay. I think it was Jay at the time, wasn't it? Yes. Was it Jay, yeah. And basically, you know, that was the as, as soaps go. Jay and Abby is a more or less a perfect relationship because yeah. they never had any problems, did they? But yeah. there was Babe ready to cause a few problems, wasn't she? Well, it was it was dull, wasn't it? <laughs> what a dull couple. <laughs> you could, you You've go got in, to have a bit of spice in life. Come on. You need to go into Coronation Street and spark up Kembalo's life again. That's what you need to do. <laughs> I've been in. I've been in Corrie. Yes. What? Who did you play in Corrie? I played. I only played. Did about three eps. It was when I was doing another series called Cutting It Up in Manchester, a Debbie Horsfield series. Um, I was pretty awful in that as well. A character called Brody. 
and they asked me if I'd go on and uh, be Thelma Clegg, who uh, did a belly dance and had a pink poodle. <laughs> More fun, wonderful. My, my poodle was dyed pink and uh, I did this belly dance to entertain. Oh, it's one of the, going back to EastEnders, one of the other things was, was this, this, they had this thing, didn't they, for a while where wasn't um, your sister, well, I can't remember what it was. Sylvie. Yeah, we kept returning somewhere, didn't we, to see where she was. And it wasn't, we, nobody was sure. And it, Aunt, Aunt Babe had been looking after her or, or was in touch with her on a regular... Well, she was in a home. She was, was in a home, yes, towards the that, end. That was it, yeah. But there was another bit where she was, where they'd not seen her for years or something. And um, I can't remember exactly now, but there was always some tension. And at the end of it, Aunt Babe was uh, was part of that that tension, basically, wasn't she? That was mm. that was the, that was the big thing. So, how did you, you know, to be working so long, obviously long hours and all the rest of it, and you must have had to have been really pumped up to do that character on a regular basis. Now, how do you get into how do you get into that evilness? What do you what do you do to prepare yourself? <laughs> As I say, you just think, uh, often as an actor, I also try and start, as well as, as thinking about people I know, I grow a small seed that's in me. I don't know if this is going to make any sense, but it might just be, oh, I don't know. Oh, I don't like that pink scarf he's wearing. And then just keep at it and keep, pink it's hideous pink isn't it idiot wearing pink um you know it's a very simplistic idea but you just grow and grow the emotion and the the thought behind it so it becomes much bigger than anything you might consider yourself um and then just go in at that level you know just kind of build build the idea and the feeling within yourself from from something small that you feel I hate washing up you know and then it ends up that you drown someone in a boat or <laughs> you know it's uh <laughs> but the but the, the the family kept giving her towards the end several second chances didn't they, they kept, yes and she kept know, messing up really yeah. terrible yeah. awful yeah. <laughs> um, writing was on the wall eventually, wasn't it? That she was. Yes. Well, it escalated, didn't it? Just yeah. kept escalating. Um, Where do you think she is now, and how do you think she's feeling, and what, what do you think she's doing? She could be anywhere now. Initially, I thought she'd go off to the coast somewhere. She'd be, go to the sea and drive to East Anglia or something. But by now, goodness knows. I think she tries and keeps tabs on them. I think she would try and somehow still find out what was actually happening in Albert Square. No, I think and right. right. You know, yeah. I don't think she's been back. I don't think she would lurk around or she wouldn't risk that, but she would have little spies she could send in and bits of information here and there. Fabulous. Lovely to talk to you about, about Bates. Oh. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's briefly just talk a little bit about, I mean, you've had a long career. Because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> you go back a long way, don't you? I mean, I'm just look, I've been looking at the various things you've done over the years. I mean, you know, it's fabulous. You've had such, I mean, you were in, you were, I, mean, I know you were, you were the, the tap dan dan dancing pupil, but you were in the naked civil servant. Yes, right? when he was learning 
he was learning to tap dance himself in the mornings and teaching in the afternoons and I was his pupil <laughs> with the wonderful Jack Gold as well directing yeah and John Hurt who was just wonderful I mean, that was a and I also got to work with him on Big Finishing on audio oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and uh, BBC stuff as well. We did, we did. I never worked with him on film again, but we did radios and things. That, lovely, lovely. That lovely was such an important film, wasn't it, at the time? Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you look, when you look back at it, you know, it was such an important moment. Then, of course, you were in another soap, which is much missed by a lot of people, and there's still a huge fan club. And we've interviewed several people from, from this one, and that's Crossroads. You're in Crossroads. You're yeah, what? because I'm a Brummie, really, you see. So uh, <laughs> my dad was very proud of that. Um, yeah, I went in, and again, Noel Gordon was great with me. I played a waitress for a bit, and it was home turf, so that's great. No, no scenery fell over while you were there or anything like that? No, I probably had to hold it, you know, I'd probably do this or catch it from the other side. <laughs> but, but at that time, when you talking, you were in it in 1978, Crossroads was huge, wasn't it? Yes. It was such a massive was. thing, and certainly in, yeah. in the Midlands, I mean, it was their soap, wasn't it? And they owned yes, it, it was, yeah. I mean, we've got doctors now, um, but the Midlands often gets left out. I did... Um, Last weekend, I'm sure it's all right to say I did, um, well, maybe I shouldn't say what it is, but I did something that is classical that has been now set as the Brummie. Uh, and I thought, oh, maybe we're sort of rearing our heads up a bit because the Midlands gets left out. It's the South and the North. And apart from Peaky Blinders, which they don't film in the Midlands, there's, there are very few stories that come out of the Midlands. I, may, I run a production, radio production company, so we make drama and comedy and stuff for the BBC. We've, this year we've just done a, we redid a, an Agatha Christie drama that she'd written in the 1920s, uh, which wasn't a crime drama, it was a, uh, one about, we, the, the estate loosely think it was based on a private life, it was called The Lie, on Radio 4 back in all, uh, August time, and it was a world premiere, so if you get a chance to listen to it... Um, Yes. It might still be online, I'm not sure. But anyway, it probably repeats at some point. But we also did a series, a, a, a narrative history series called uh, England Made in the Middle. And it's a <laughs> five-part series on the history of the Midlands uh, with Helen Castor presenting it. And we were told that it got one of the biggest AIs in audience right. appreciation that Radio 4's ever had. And that's because for the first time in year, donkey's years, they were talking about the Midlands, for heaven's sake. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? So you're right. I mean, it's a huge swathe of the population as well live there. And, yes. Um, and, and very rarely do people talk about it or hear voices from there or anything. No. And it's I mean, really the industry perfect. for the most part's gone. You know, when I was little, it was the car industry and most of you know, the potteries weren't really as big as they'd been a little further north. And But uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's much ignored, really. Yeah. <laughs> Now, you were in all sorts of other things, and you were, in, you were also uh, in, um, again, somebody often forgotten now. There was a documentary about him the other day on Channel 5. But you were also in, uh, you worked with Dick Emery at one point in the 90s. Yes, I did! <laughs> <laughs> yes, when we were at Television Centre, we were out filming in uh, Richmond, but we had to rehearse at Television Centre. And I remember, because that's when you could drive in, which, you know, it hardly exists now. And he drove in ahead of me when we were going in to rehearse, and I was kind of, <gasps> there he was at the gates before we even got into the rehearsal, you know. 
Um, yeah, he was fun. He was very sharp, very quick, you know, very funny, knew absolutely how to do it, you know, very uh, you know, you, on the mark. You, you've done a sort of a range. I mean, you, I was just thinking that you you really have an, an eclectic mix because you've done quite a lot of comedy. You've done quite a lot of drama. You did a lot of the crime sort of dramas like Gentle yes. and all those kind of things in, in, the, in that period. I was just going to say Midsummer now, you know, it's kind of, of yeah, 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 and, and the the bill and all the rest of it, but but also, of course, um, you know, on uh, you know another another side of things, of course, you were as well as Babe. That probably the thing you're best known for is the your part in Doctor Who. Yes. Uh, so Margaret uh, <laughs> Lane, you can call me blonde if you want. <laughs> did, did you ever think? Did you ever think you'd land a role in in Doctor Who? No, uh, and it had stopped for so long um, because I was part of, I was, it was the first episodes that they shot during the regeneration, not uh, Boomtown, that came separately, but the, um, the first two eps were the first two eps they shot. So no one had any idea whether the fans would take to it, how they'd respond. Um, but I think it worked because Russell T. Davis, Phil Phil Collinson, Christopher Eccleston, they all loved Doctor Who themselves. So they wanted it to work. They cared for it. It wasn't a cynical venture. Oh, let's rejig this. They really cared about what they were making. Um, but when I was offered it, I, again, I was still in cutting it and I was going, oh, I'm going to be Doctor Who, skipping around the room. And they, people were going, oh, yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> lords and ladies of the realm kill to be in it. But um, no, I mean, I'm old enough. I started with uh, William Hartnell. So, you know, Mr. Troughton. And then sort of I kind of went away from it and, uh, you know, a bit of Tom Baker. But, but really, I, it, I had left it behind as well, I suppose, for a long time. So it was just fabulous when it was regenerated and Boomtown Russell wrote for me which was an enormous gift you know he liked what I'd done in the previous episodes and and uh, it plopped onto the mat about Christmas time so that was a great gift. <laughs> Fabulous as I say you've been you've been working for a long time you've done a lot of things but those are the two characters I think most people now know you as to an extent. Um, how do you feel, it's a serious question I suppose, how do you feel about parts now for uh, mature women, established people, as it were? Yeah, um, I think it's difficult, and with COVID, it's been very difficult uh, because people don't want to employ older actors for many reasons to protect them, or because they won't take the risk, or the insurance is too high. I think it's getting better. I mean, for women, it's always been difficult anyway. Um, and it is improving, but we've got a long way to go is what I feel. And I don't know what effect COVID will have on it or indeed any of our, anyone's lives in the business really. Um, Sherry, Sherry Hewson said to me that, because um, she's another one who's a bit like you're a survivor who keeps going and is managing to keep work, working. She says that you just have, her advice to everybody younger than her is just to keep reinventing yourself. You have to keep reinventing yourself. You have to be as right. style as possible, really. Um, yeah. There's part of some of that in it, in a way, that you've, you've got to keep one step. Well, I suppose I've always changed anyway. So I think that's good. And I work in all the media. 
and you know I've got friends who go oh no I wouldn't do that and I wouldn't be seen in that and whereas I go oh they want me oh that's lovely I'll go and join in <laughs> oh this seems in this over here seems interesting I'll poke my nose into that so I think that helps that I I enjoy all the media and enjoy working in them for different reasons so I don't know about reinventing myself because I tend to respond to the parts and as but as you say have done both kind of sides of the kind of comedy and drama um working in EastEnders obviously Tim you you knew of but obviously there'd been a lot of there were a lot of people in EastEnders have been there for a long long time obviously Jim Brown and others um, was that a little bit? Dense? I'd worked with June in a thing called Lace with oh, Honor Blackman. Of course. <laughs> you, knew June. you knew June, which is good. It was good. Yeah. Was, was there a door, a, you know, because of EastEnders being so big, as it were, what, was, were you a little bit daunted about going into EastEnders on a regular basis at the beginning? Yeah, you have to take a deep breath and go, you know, you'd have to think about it before you join, really, because you know it's a big undertaking. And so much a part of people's lives. You can't take it lightly, can you? It's, uh, I couldn't anyway. I mean, it had to be more than just thinking you've got a job. It was, it's an institution. I heard it, Tim say, um, in some interview he did, saying, say that he was, he was amazed at, at just their, the way they do things at EastEnders in terms of the professionalism the way they turn things round, the dedication and everything. He thought it was... Oh, and the technicians, you know, just everyone works so hard to make it happen because the schedules are, are hard going. You know, there's a lot to be shot in a day. Um, and that's for everyone. That's not just the actors. Everyone has to commit. You know, the props guys, absolutely everyone has to go, yeah. Here's another day, another huge day. We face it, we, we'll uh, be inventive if we have to and get round obstacles and, and make it happen. What do you, final question, what do you miss most about Albert Square, about not being there? My family. <laughs> you had to I say miss, that. <laughs> I know, I miss my family. <laughs> well, I for, one, I for one would love to see Babe back again. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for talking to us. Uh, Great was... pleasure. <laughs> All the very best to you and a good new year. Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM and there are loads more excellent shows to listen to on our website. Danny Rogers recalls growing up with 321's Dusty Bin. So my first encounter with Dusty Bidden was my dad sort of wheeling him out as a young boy. I had no clue what this thing was. And I was frightened, of course, but as it went on, I was like, oh, this is my new best friend. <laughs> and I was one of the lucky few that actually had one in their bedroom. Kathy Gorey discusses the legacy of Rosemary, the telephone operator. Hello, hello. I had an effect on a bunch of Gen Xers, or maybe I was their first female crush or something, but I meet men, some of them quite powerful now, who grew up watching me. You know, 
know, watching Rosemary, rather. But I thought, this is nuts. And they let me do pretty much what I wanted to do. Everything was always rhyming. Some you call the police department of Hong Kong. And that's that's what I thought Rosemary would sound like. And John Boy himself talks about his childhood with the Waltons. It was really one of the great ensemble TV shows. I mean, we had 11 regulars. And although the story was told from John Boy's point of view, one of the great things about the show was the main story could be about the littlest kid one week, or it could be about the grandparents. So you had all this wonderful generational comprehensiveness about it. And so I would call it first and foremost a great ensemble. These programmes and many more are available at distinctnostalgia.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to be notified whenever a new episode becomes available. And if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you for listening and bye for now. Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.